So we're going to start a series that will take us for the next few weeks called Trust Issues. And one of the things that we're going to talk about throughout this series is the, the, the biblical call to trust in a God that created us and saved us, but yet there are issues that we wrestle with as human beings that stand in the way of a, of a more complete trust in God on every single level of our life. And I'm looking forward to us diving into this and digging into this. And if we were to answer the question like, what does it mean to trust kind of as an operating or a beginning point understanding is that trust is the reliance. Now that word reliance is important in understanding trust because um, when, when we trust, we, we, we are in a position of relying on something outside of ourselves. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is parents, there was a time that everything about the well-being of your children um, was dependent upon you and they are relying on you for that. There is a reliance that is on them, which does put the pressure on you. So trust is forged out of a reliance, a relying on the integrity, surety, ability of a person or a thing. Now, for our conversations, obviously we're not talking about a thing. We're talking about a person, and that is the living God. That is the God who created us, who breathed life into us. And so if, if we're going to really have an operating understanding, like what is it about uh, your life right now that there is a need for reliance on God himself? And sometimes we don't think about that because, you know, we're just kind of busy doing life and doing the things that we do. And we just, get, you know, we go from one day to the next and we make the best decisions we can. But there's going to be times that we've got to really look at our life with God and say, look, God, where am I relying on you? Like, it's not just a belief in you. It's a reliance on you. Trust throughout the Bible is a call it is a challenge, and it is a command. You will see all three of those every time the word trust or the, the opportunity to trust uh, comes up throughout Scripture. We're called to trust in God. Like we were designed to trust in something. And whether or not that something is God or something else um, is, is forged every day of our life. The challenge is to trust God when there is great temptation to trust other things, especially uh, things of the created world that we put ahead of God. But then there is a command that God puts in front of us to trust him because when he, um, when, when he blessed uh, Abraham with the first child that became the chosen people Israel, the command was that they trust God above everything else because they were going to find themselves in lands where there were foreign gods. And did you trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or do you trust the foreign gods? And whenever the people of Israel varied from that trust, they broke that covenant relationship and God had to 
to bring judgment. God had to correct them so they would come back and honor the command to trust him above all things and above all other gods. And one of the things that I want to establish that, that is a, um, a key part of this series is to understand the three ways in which we look at and evaluate the world around us. Now, two of them, you're going you're gonna to identify, you're going to know right away, and, and let's unpack those before I, before, of course, before I give you the third one. The first one is mental, like how we think about the world, how we think about our place in the world, how we think about what goes on in the world uh, around us. Uh, the mind allows us to think logically and rationally uh, about the world, what's happening in the world, and our place in the world. Uh, scientists for years have been studying the brain activity of, of, of various animals throughout the animal kingdom, but one thing that is established is that humanity is head and shoulders above anything else that is in the created order because we're able to not only think, we're not only able to be rational, but we're able to exercise a free will. And, and how we exercise that free will is shaped in part by how we think about the world around us. One of the best gifts that God has ever given any of us is the ability to think. The ability to look at the things around us and to, to think about what we believe and why we believe it and why we see certain things going on in the world. And one of the troubling things about where society is continually moving is we're losing our ability to think through problems to think through challenges, to, to take uh, data, uh, to take history, to take those things and, and, and push and, and pull them together and to say, how do we stand up or rise up and face the challenges of our day? Because we've gotten so wrapped into our polarities and, 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 and the, the polarities of thought that there's, no, there, there's almost no room left in the middle, unfortunately. But another thing is that we have gotten so accustomed to our entertainment that we would rather be entertained than think. We would rather be entertained than grow our knowledge. We would rather be entertained than to really wrestle mentally with, with, with the challenges and our place in the world as it relates to those challenges. So the mind is certainly one of the ways in which we engage the world and our place in the world. The second one is the emotional. Not only do we have a mind, we have a heart. That's the center of our emotion, if you will, in the Western uh, line of thinking, the uh, Western civilization in our thinking. The emotional is how we feel about life the world, and our place in it. 
Emotions are certainly a part of being a created being. God created us with those emotions. When we become angry, when we become frustrated, when we are happy, when we are sad, when we are elated, I mean, the, the whole gamut of those emotions that we go through on a daily basis. And because we are human, set above everything else that's created, our emotions oftentimes will dictate our minds. How we think about something is directly connected to our feelings about that thing. Let me give you an example. You get up on a Monday morning, you face the day, you get your stuff together, you go out the door, and something bad happens like, like before you get to work. Like there's just, I mean, I don't know what it is. You know, you're, you're stuck in traffic. Those that tried to get to church two hours ago were stuck behind a house. I'm not kidding. But one of the things that will happen is that here's what we will say. Well, this is going to be a great week. Because we, we take something that happens in the moment and project an emotion onto the rest of the week, and now we funnel everything that happens through that emotional reaction. You see how that happens? Now, we can do the opposite as well. Like, we can have a hard time even getting to work on a Monday or getting our day started, but we can also say, well, this is going to be a good week. I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm not going to let it frustrate me. I'm not going to let it, you know, have a, you know, put a cloud over what's going to happen. We can, we can do the opposite as well, but a lot of times we let our thoughts be dictated by our emotions, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Part of that is how we are wired. Some people are able to take their thoughts and they, and they, they think through something and then they kind of decide how they feel about something in light of that. Some people feel something and that emotion uh, translates into what they think about something. Think about where we are right now in our society. How much of what you're seeing about political discourse, sociological discourse in our society is driven purely by emotion and how little of it is based on reasoning or truth or fact? And the reason why we keep getting so much further out on the polarities and not able to navigate somewhere in a rational middle is because everybody's emotional. Everybody's reacting, responding, deciding, and doing on, on, on emotional levels before we ever get to the rational. But then there's a third one. We've got our mind, we've got our heart, but I'm going to say this before I tell you what it is. The third one is exclusive to Christianity. It's exclusive to followers of Christ. And I know that is not a popular word uh, in terms of exclusive because everything that are around us today talks about inclusive, you know, all these companies and corporations and universities talking about, you know, DEI this and inclusion this and diversity that. But there, is, there are some aspects about Christianity by their nature 
are exclusive. Because not only are we mental you know, uh, beings that, that have a brain and the ability to think and reason, we are also emotional creatures that are able to feel um, things on an emotional level, but we are also spiritual beings. And what the Bible talks about is that when we are apart from a relationship with God, we are dead spiritually. That we are dead in our sin. We are separated from God. But then when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells us, then we begin to have a spiritual life. The Bible also warns that any attempt at spirituality apart from Christ is a false spirituality. Anything apart from Christ is, is something that could even be considered demonically deceptive. But yet it sounds spiritual on the surface. There's a lot of people that are trying to live spiritual lives apart from God, apart from Christ, and it is demonically deceptive. It's a false spirituality. And so for the Christ follower to, who has given their life to Jesus and has entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, now we are not just mental beings, we are not just emotional beings, we are now spiritual beings. And one of the things that we have to understand in that relationship with Jesus is that the spiritual must have as much, if not more, precedent in our lives than the mental and the emotional. Listen to what Paul says to the Colossian church in chapter 1, second half of verse 9. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, so we talk about knowledge as the mental, the learning, the growing, the taking in of, of knowledge, our data, our fact. So knowledge of his will, do you know what his will is? And to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a huge difference between spiritual wisdom and earthly wisdom. Paul is very good to give that distinction because what he says to the Colossian church is that spiritually I want you to be wise. Spiritually I want you to understand what is it that's going on, what you are a part of, what you are connected to, how you look at the world around you through the spiritual lens and not just the mental, not just the emotional. So, with all that being said, for the believer, trust is something that is to be forged in the spiritual realm first, before it takes root in the mental or the emotional. That's not saying that trust does not have an emotional component. That's not saying trust doesn't have a mental component, but for the believer... It has to start in the spiritual before it can take deeper root in the mental or the emotional or in the mind and heart. But see, here's what we do. We oftentimes get it backward. Because before we enter into a relationship with Jesus, I mean, we're human beings, we think, we feel, we go through life, and then we enter into a relationship with Jesus, and we keep thinking, and we keep feeling, and sometimes we, we express an articulate belief or articulate a belief in Jesus, but then there's not a 
spiritual belief. So with that being said, I want to ask you this question. Do you matter? Do you matter? If your first response is a mental because you have formed an opinion based on the landscape of your life, or if your first opinion is emotional based on the challenges that have cha in life that have challenged your heart um, in a lot of different ways, your answer to that question is going to be shaped most predominantly by how you think or how you feel. Do you matter? Not only that, but the answer to the question, do you matter, may change depending on what uh, a compartment of your life we're talking about. What area of your life are you talking about? Let me give you some examples. Like, if I'm to ask you, do you matter, and you're in a marriage relationship, or you're dating someone, like you're engaged or you're dating, but you're not married yet, like, do you matter to your partner, to your spouse? Well, if you're sitting here today and, and, and you've been through a really hard time and you're in a hard time right now and there's conflict, like you, 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 may, you may have some doubts. Like, I don't, I don't really know because we're not on the same page. We're not moving in the same direction. We're thinking in very different ways. However, if, if you have gone through a tough season and you've come out the other side and, you've, and it's made your relationship stronger, then you may be able to say without a doubt, I matter to my partner. I matter to my spouse. Well, wh what about your children? What about your children? Okay, some of you whose children um, are, are a little bit older, do you remember that time they crossed over that, that kind of threshold from being a child under your roof to an independent young adult? And, and like as soon as they got their freedoms, man, they were gone. Like, you didn't know where they were, when they were coming home. They took Life 360 off their phone because they were 18. You know, like, you have no idea where they are. And the only time you see one is when they need 40 bucks for gas. Wait a minute, this is 2020. 80 bucks for gas. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, is, is that all I'm worth to you? Am, am I just an ATM? But then something happens and that son or daughter calls you for advice because they're learning how to be an adult. So even that question can vary depending on where your children are in life and, and, and how your relationship with your kids kind of changes from season to season. What about where you volunteer? If you volunteer at church, the community school, you know, where, where is it that you volunteer? Like, does, do, do the people that you volunteer for, do, do you matter to them? Do you matter to the organization? Do you, do you believe that what you're doing is making a difference? That if you were to remove yourself, do you see that something would be lost? And so whether or not you have confidence in that answer goes a long way to answering the question, do you matter? What about your career? 
You know, like we, we spend a lot of time thinking about what we're going to give our lives to in our, in our younger years. And some people just kind of do a career change every so many years. Some people get in one career path and they stick with it. Some people just seem to follow a career path and everything seems to go relatively smooth and relatively well. Some people have hardships and maybe they've been phased out or laid off and they've had to go through a period without and they've, they, they, they've had to adapt or change, you know. But, but like, what do you think about your place where you work? Do you believe that you matter there, that you're making some kind of a difference, that you're bringing value to the organization. And every generation tries to answer this in different ways, tries to live this out in different ways. Some generations just take it more seriously. Like if it doesn't bring me personal value, if it doesn't bring me some kind of fulfillment, I'm not going to do it. And I'll take less to have fulfillment rather than more and not. I mean, every generation uh, wrestles with this in different ways. But like, do you matter? Do you believe you matter in the places that you're employed? What about your friendships and your extended family? Like, do you have people in your life that are just like, that is, that is my, what, what, how do some people say it? My ride or die partner, you know? Uh, if you're, if you need bail, someone like, can I even answer that one? <laughs> you know, I mean, like th those people that like, you just know without a doubt, like they're going to be with you through thick or thin and you're going to be with them through thick or thin. I mean, do you, do you have this belief that there are friends and extended family that you matter to and that you matter to them? But then what about life? Like, do you believe that your life matters? Do, do, do you believe that, like, this, this life is important, this life is what I have, um, it matters that I'm here, it matters that I'm on planet Earth, it matters that I'm living and breathing, it matters that I have abilities, it matters that I have talents, it matters that I have something to contribute. Do you believe that your life matters? Because one of the things that we know to be true, the more that we continue to hear and read about mental health crisis across our society as a whole, is that in many cases, people who struggle with depression struggle with their sense of worth. Now, I'm not saying that this is a catch-all or a fix-all. I'm not saying that at all because there's a lot of reasons we're continuing to learn why people struggle with depression. But one factor is when somebody struggles with their sense of worth, do they matter? That is a recipe for struggling with one's sense of mental health as it relates to their self-worth. I remember um, uh, not too long ago listening to the story of someone whose husband committed suicide, and one of the things that she uh, said is that he was always saying when he was in uh, a harder place of depression that everybody's life would be better if I wasn't here. Y'all would be better off if I wasn't here. So there's a projection of our own sense of worth onto other people that if we're struggling with whether or not we really matter to be here, then we can start to believe this lie that everybody's better off without us. And so here's the question again. Do you believe, do you think 
Do you know, do you feel that you matter? And maybe for some of you, that's not a, that's not a comfortable place to sit. That's not a comfortable question to consider because of the hardships and the heartbreak and the challenges that you have been through or are currently facing. You're struggling with that question. But let's reframe the question. Instead of asking the question, do I matter, and looking at it solely from a mind, you know, do do I believe it in my mind or do I feel it in my heart? What if we started here? Do I matter to God? Do I matter to God? You see, too often we begin to think God sees us the same way as other people see us. Let me give you an example. If you've been in a relationship where there was a lot of verbal abuse and you were uh, uh, continually being put down, you were continually being criticized, you were being told that you were no good, you were being told that you you have no worth, that you have no value, that, that nobody sees anything good in you, we will begin to project that belief about ourselves onto God and that God must think the same way about me which is a dangerous trap to be in, but that is what can happen to us uh, in, in, in our lives on this earth, is that we project onto God what we think other people think about us. So if other people think that, then God must think that. But to really understand the question or to, to have a landing point of do I matter to God, we, we have to start in a different place. We have to come to that conclusion in a different way other than just what we think or what we feel. Because what begins to happen is that the head and the heart without the spirit begin to shape what we believe about ourselves. So if we can agree that the spiritual life begins uh, at our relationship with Christ and, and we confess or articulate a belief, but yet we're not cultivating the spiritual, then we're still living very much with head knowledge and heart feeling and we're not necessarily cultivating the spirit. But in order to arrive at a truthful answer about do I matter to God, we must bring the spiritual into it. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah is one of the three, uh, four major prophets of the Old Testament. A big chunk of the prophetic books of the Old Testament is taken up by those four. Listen to this in Jeremiah 31. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people. And we're an extension of that. Because we can trace, because of Christ, we trace our spiritual lineage back to the chosen people of Israel. We're a part of that. And so when he says, I have loved you, my people, we're a part of the my people. With an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. 
One of the works of God, even today, is that he draws people to himself. If you've ever heard somebody say, I knew something was missing in my life, I couldn't figure out what it, uh, what it was, and I started feeling drawn to investigate God or investigate Jesus, and I started reading the Bible, and the Bible really started speaking, that's God drawing people to himself. Some of you came into this church one time and you didn't know why you came here. You just felt drawn to here because that was the work of God. That's what God does. And it says that I've loved you with an everlasting and unfailing love. What on this earth is everlasting and unfailing? On this earth. It's not going to be much of a list. Listen to these words from Psalm chapter 139, Psalm 139. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Uh, would anybody like to go to the beach and get, get a quart mason jar full of sand and count out the grains? No. I mean, too vast to count. Parents, how often do you think about your kids on a daily basis? Just your kids in general, their well-being, their health, their vibrancy, their livelihood, their, their well-being. God's thought about you more. He's thought about you more. We don't think about things we don't care about. We don't think about things that don't matter. We don't think about things that are not of consequence. We don't think about things that we don't think are worth giving mental energy to. And the psalm writer says, God, you've thought about me more than there are grains of sand. And for some of you, that's encouraging. For some of you, that's uplifting. For some of you, it's kind of hard to get your mind around that because that's just such a, a different way of thinking about how you're viewed by God because oftentimes worth is measured by what something is compared to. So again, we start saying, well, God, if I could only be, you know, if I could only be this faithful to you like so-and-so, if I could only be this way, then maybe you'll love me more, maybe you'll bless me more, maybe you'll do for me more or think about me more, maybe you'll include me in your kingdom. And we compare our worth to God as it relates to other people. Because we can always see people that are more faithful, more, uh, more heartfelt, more impactful, more positive. You know, there's just always reasons to think like this person God must love more than me because I'm not X, Y, or Z. We need to stop comparing and start looking at what God says about me and nothing else. And this is where trusting that I matter to God is first a spiritual exercise before it's a head or a heart exercise. It's spiritual first before it's head or heart. Because the invitation, the opportunity, the call and challenge and command, if you will, is to see ourselves for how God sees us. 
And that's the first answer to this question. How does one develop a trust that one matters to God. Like, if I'm struggling that I matter, God, I'm going to rely on you with the answer. If I'm going to live with the belief that I matter, then I'm going to rely on you to instill that within me. So the first thing that we do is we ask God to show us the way that he sees us. God, that I would see how you see me, that I would know how you see me, that I would read how you see me. And one of the things we got to do, if we're going to have an answer to that prayer, because if you, if, if you, if you sincerely and honestly pray that, God, that, that I would see you for how you see me, We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to. If, if we just pray, God, that I would see you for how you see me, and we don't ever open God's word, we'll never read, we'll never hear, we'll never take in how God sees us. So the Bible becomes not just something that we have knowledge of, it's something that speaks to us, not just on a heart level, not just on a mind level, but on a spiritual level. And so once we ask God that we would see ourselves for how he sees us, then we stand on what God says about ourselves, even when we doubt our own worth. It's human nature to doubt. We, we don't always just turn that switch off. I mean, we give uh, the disciple Thomas a hard time because he doubted Jesus had really risen from the dead until he could see Jesus in front of him and put his hands in the wounds and, you know, the, on his wrist and put his hand in his side. There are going to be circumstances and situations and seasons where you're going to doubt if you matter or not. Because hardship is going to happen, something's going to pull the rug out uh, from under you, and you're going to doubt. And if you stand on what God's Word says, then you're able to withstand the onslaught of doubt because you're spending time in God's Word, and God's Word is speaking to you because God is saying to you, don't take what you see solely at face value. Don't forget, you matter to me. You matter to me. You matter to me. You matter to me. To me. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, 6 and 7. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Copper coins in Jesus' day were like virtually nothing. Like it was almost worth not even minting the coin. It was so little in monetary value. Kind of like how we view the penny today. Like what can you do with a penny other than throw it at your brother or sister? Don't go home and do that. Don't send me emails about that. I mean, we just don't find a lot of value in the penny itself. Like if somebody says it's worth the penny, well, that ain't worth much. So in, in the hearers to what Jesus is saying, they would have known those sparrows don't carry a lot of monetary value. There's not a lot of value in those sparrows, but Jesus goes on. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Oh, that is such an encouraging verse. 
That means God not only knows the hairs that I have, but the ones I used to have. <laughs> that means God knows every intimate detail about you. Every specific thing about you, God knows. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a flock of sparrows. You are more valuable to God than a flock of sparrows. When you ask God to show you how he sees you and he reveals that through his word and you begin to stand on that, then you believe and trust, remember rely on what he says about you even when your heart and mind are conflicted, torn, and even lying to you. Do you, want to, you know one of the most dangerous things somebody can say to you or you say to yourself? Just follow your heart. Because the Bible cautions us that the heart is deceitfully wicked. And there's going to be times that your heart is going to lie to you and Satan is going to leverage your emotions in negative ways to try to tell you that you don't matter. And usually it comes when we've messed up when we have failed, when we have fallen, when somebody has walked away from us, when somebody has told us we're not, we don't matter to them anymore, that, that's when we start getting conflicted and torn or even lying. And that's when we have to say, God, I trust that I can walk in a confident belief that I matter to you regardless of what my circumstances are trying to say to me regardless of what a broken heart may be saying to me, regardless of what circumstances that are infiltrating my mind to try to convince me that I'm not worthy, that I don't matter, that my life doesn't matter. God, I believe and I trust that I matter to you. The Apostle John in his first Letter that's toward the end of the New Testament, not the gospel of, but his letter, 1 John 3. See how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. You're not going to be able to answer the question, do I matter to God fully, if you continue to stay outside of a relationship with Jesus. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to add up. It's not going to compute. Because there's something in a, in a broken and dead spirit that will never be able to fully grasp the depth and the width of the love that God has for us and, and, and that he calls us children. What a great promise. And you see, whether or not you believe right now that you matter, God says you do. God says you matter. God says you matter. And don't let anyone in this world say to you otherwise. Trust in the words of God himself. Trust 
what his inspired writers of the Bible communicate about who God is and how he views every one of us. That in spite of the hardships, in spite of the challenges, in spite of things that don't go your way, in spite of things that may not always work out, you matter to God. And if you can live in that trust and that belief, it shapes everything else about how you live and what you decide and what you do. Everything. If you don't think you matter, there's a recklessness there. If you don't think you matter, there's an there's a uncaringness that, that, that you will live your life with about how your actions influence and impact other people. But do you know what? When you realize you matter to God, you make very different decisions. You respond to life in much different ways. So what I want to encourage you today is don't just think about whether or not you matter to God. Don't just wrestle in your heart about what you feel about your worth before God. Take what God says about you. Allow God to speak into your soul, speak into your spirit, speak into you in ways that bring life into your soul, that regardless of, of the struggles you have in your mind and your heart, your soul, your spirit can rest on the knowledge that you matter to God. And then it starts to influence your mind, and then it starts to influence your heart. And you experience something called peace. And that is a gift you can't put a price on. And you will never find peace apart from Christ. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to, to have a spiritual life. Maybe you haven't come to Christ because you thought you needed to clean some things up so that uh, God would accept you. We come to God as we are. M maybe you've just wrestled with whether or not God would, would even have you because of your own feelings about yourself or what others have said to you. John said, when we become a follower of Christ, we're a child of God. And what more can God do to say that you matter to him than to send his son to earth on a mission to die for you so that your sins can be forgiven and your soul can be awakened by the presence of Christ in your life. And you can walk in confidence that you matter to God. If you want to begin that relationship, I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you pray this with me in your mind, in your heart? Cry out to God. He will hear this prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he came to this earth. That he showed us who you really are that he died on the cross, that he rose again so that I can be forgiven and have life.
thank you that I am your child. Jesus, I am yours. My life is yours. I will follow you from this day forward. Thank you that I matter this much to you, that you would do all this for me. I pray in Jesus' name, with every head still bowed and closed. We don't do a come forward invitation at mission. We invite you to respond in one of two ways. One, if you would see me after the service that you prayed to receive Jesus. Number two, that you fill out the connection card that I mentioned at the first of the service and drop it in the ba uh, boxes on your way out. And you can write on that card that you prayed to receive Christ. Don't leave without sharing that decision because it's important that you start to get connected into a group, that you start learning about Jesus and investing in your spiritual life and growing in him so that you can be all he created you to be. Believer who can remember a time that they invited Christ into their life but has struggled with their sense of worth. Have you looked to the world to find your worth? Have you denied the truth of how God sees you? Have you uh, forsaken the spiritual in that quest of self-worth and answering the question, do you matter? Maybe, maybe today is a day of a, a new beginning. I want to give you a moment to pray, to cry out to God, to confess, to reach out to him. And then I'll close. Father, I pray in this place that burdens are being lifted. Hope is being restored. Chains are being broken. Hearts are being healed. Lord, just how important it is that we live in a, in a trust, in a reliance of just how much we matter to you. Because you know even more than we do how hard this world can be. And how your presence is strong enough and sure enough to see us through. Lord, thank you for that goodness and that love and that grace you lavish upon us with an unfailing and everlasting love. Father, I pray that we would live in that and walk in that and trust in that in every conceivable way. Thank you for the gift of peace you give to those who seek you and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.